The boy band craze to me was this amazing time in history that changed everything. We start selling out stadiums, start selling out arenas. You see a girl pass out in front of you, and you're supposed to just keep performing. People were selling a million records a week. Like, nobody had ever seen sales like this before. And what a lot of people don't understand, the man responsible for this was Lou Perlman. Only some, so many things I can put on to this podcast before I have to stop and <laughs> edit the recording and start again, which I'm doing now. So let me actually lower the recording volume just a little bit right here. Okay. Welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack, and with me, as always, is... Wifely duty, Corey. Yes. So, we are here today. Um, this was not exactly a planned podcast episode. Uh, I kind of feel like a lot of the episodes we do nowadays aren't. We just kind of get in the mood and decide to hop on mic. Um, you know, we do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> we do it The live. fucking thing sucks. <laughs> no, but... Um, no, we... Um, we watched a. We're going to review two things. Uh, we're going to first review a documentary, and that will lead us into talking about a uh, a narrative film. Kind of. I, I use narrative film <laughs> in the loosest way. I kind of refer to what we're about to review as a narrative film the way that I refer to Gushers fruit snacks as vegetables and fruit, actual <laughs> fruit. I mean, it has maybe a fruit consistency, but. <laughs> I don't know what it is, um, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, let me get my book out. Um, okay, so the first thing that we wanted to talk about, we had heard of a documentary which is now on YouTube Premium. Um, I'm not sure how many of you have. I think it's also called YouTube Red, but I think it's now called YouTube Premium. Um, a documentary called The Boy Band Con, The Lou Perlman Story. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Lou Perlman, uh, this documentary, I feel like, is now part of a, I don't know if it's a, a real unofficial trend, or if it's just coincidental, but, you know, well, I, th I think it is obviously a sign for Me Too, but this one especially has some other layers to it. Uh, you know, following on the heels of stuff like Leaving Never Neverland and... Uh, the Fire Festival documentaries and uh, R. Kelly Trapped in the Closet Two. This time it's real. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the name of what that was called. Uh, um, <laughs> what was that R. Kelly doc? Surviving R. Kelly. Oh, Surviving R. Yeah, Leaving Netherland, Surviving R. Kelly. Um, you know, uh, the wastelands of the Fire Festival, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but this latest one. Now, Lou Pearlman, why don't you tell our listeners who Lou Pearlman is, Corey? So, Lou Pearlman wore many hats over the course of his life, but... <laughs> Some of them very legal hats. <laughs> <laughs> he got them from the legal store of hats. <laughs> but if you know who he is, it's because he was the manager of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC early in, early in their careers, and he... He kind of recruited them, trained them, and kind of built the first act of their careers. Yeah, uh, what ha the documentary even go shows this, that he originally uh, owned, like, blimps, and did he own any airplanes, too? Yeah, and what happened was, he was in the aviation industry, and 
he noticed that the band New Kids on the Block yes. had enough money to rent a super expensive private jet from him. Yeah. So And he said to himself, hey, I'm in the wrong business. I mean, these <laughs> guys are pulling in crazy money. You know, I mean, that was when New Kids on the Block was, you know, they were my brother's favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Whereas Sorry, Jerry. you and I, I think we were, we just missed New Kids on the Block. I didn't, we were like too young. I, it wasn't really my thing anyway. But yeah, a new, new Kids on the Block came a little bit too young. By the time, though, these boy bands really hit, you know, Backstreet Boys and Sync. I mean, that was when we would have been like right at those ages. Now, that was not my kind of music, like what? at all. I also feel like boy bands are more of a girl thing. They're more of a girl thing, but I I think though that you but they're also it's also just pre-processed crap. It's like buying a bag of Fritos in music form. <laughs> it's just it's so pop sounding, but it's almost to the point where um like they go into this in a documentary a bit how Lou Pearlman again, he he owned both groups like he was the manager for both groups but originally backstreet boys were the ones who were gaining more traction and then sync were kind of second banana like they weren't as popular at first and then he that but then suddenly new sync in sync i almost called them new sync in sync filled in a, like a slot on like a disney channel concert and suddenly they started to get some more traction and Backstreet Boys really didn't like this because they were originally supposed to fill that slot. They couldn't do it because they were just run down. And Lou Pearlman slotted them in. So he was creating this competition between the two groups. And he, in the documentary, apparently Lou Pearlman said, I want to own Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, he, he said like, well, yeah, the way he put it was, well, you know, eventually like there's going to be some ripoff band ripoff group of the Backstreet Boys. I figured I might as well do it. Yeah, and frankly, their music, at least when they were really big, sounds pretty interchangeable yeah. to me. Now, I should say before I watched this documentary, I knew a little bit about Lou Pearlman. He's just, he's one of those figures that as soon as you see him, it's like when you first set eyes on Har Harvey Weinstein. He's just this like amorphous blob of a human being like, just, like, sweat and grease and, unpl you know, kind of, frankly, just ugly to look at, but makes kind of an impression. He, like, if he was still alive, I'd say, actually, well, I'd say Philip Seymour Hoffman should play him in the dramatization. Uh, sadly, he's dead, and luckily, Lou Pearlman's dead. <laughs> but the thing is, in this documentary, it's, it goes to a lot of places that you won't be familiar with, because I just thought he had screwed over... You know, the old story of the manager yeah. who screws over uh, the bands, uh, the groups for their, the money that they're owed. Um, and, you know, that he, he, I always sensed that there was something, like, not right about him, but I'd never really looked that deeply into it. And I think the, go the good thing about this documentary is it puts into context how everything that was scummy about him was kind of all of a piece. Yeah. So we learned that the way he um, ripped off the band he managed is in particular in sync. Like Backstreet Boys, they they somehow got a way out of it where it wasn't that bad. So, but anyway. Sorry. 
I think he screwed over the Backstreet Boys too. It's just they didn't sue him. No, well, well, didn't what didn't the one guy like in this documentary? By the way, it's produced by Lance Bass, and a number of the NSYNC members are in it, not Justin Timberlake, but all the other ones. And Backstreet Boys, there's only one from that group, which is interesting because I watched like a little news clip. Uh, after we watched the documentary where three of the Backstreet Boys were interviewed on some show and talked about Lou Pearlman. So clearly it's not like they won't talk about him at all. I guess maybe they just, I don't know, maybe they don't like Lance Bass or something like that. Yeah, so there's a little bit of a disparity in terms of how the two bands are represented because you have four people from NSYNC and only one from the Backstreet Boys. Yeah, but again, I think that the, the documentary tried to make it like, Backstreet Boys found a way to kind of make it. Like, what's interesting is, I again, I don't remember the exact trajectories of both groups. I Again, I wasn't following them that closely. But my impression at the time was they actually really hit superstardom once they left Lou Pearlman. Well, my understanding is... The Backstreet Boys were the first band, which Lou Pearlman created first, they toured first, and they hit it big first. I think the Backstreet Boys were well into their career and still with Lou Pearlman. I believe with NSYNC, they were stars with him. But they were at the peak of their fame well, post Well, Pearlman. they also talk about, too, that the Backstreet Boys were just more popular because they had, like, a, quote, darker image. They wore, like, darker clothes, and they seemed more adult, I guess, somehow. And NSYNC, you know, wore, you know, football jerseys and looked like your brother trying to act cool. And, and yeah, NSYNC were really getting screwed over. Like, they have this story where they were told, okay, you're finally getting... <laughs> some money you're finally getting some real money and they got to some dinner and Lou Pearlman hands out the checks and they I love the story of this where they're all like oh boy oh boy I can't wait till it would get I mean and and like one of the band members mothers says like we were thinking maybe like I don't know two hundred thousand dollars a piece and then they open up their checks and it's ten grand a piece yeah and by then InSync has been on tour relentlessly for two years they've already sold millions of albums yeah they've been on tour for years and they each get a check for 10 grand yeah and they and they make the comparison that like is it school teachers made more than them or something well they compared them to the amount of money they would have made if they were minimum wage workers right right well what happened was though lou perlman Again, very sneaky. He tried. He then like tried to say, "Oh no, no! All the money from when you go like your motel rooms, and we have these dinners, and you know my fees. Let's take it out of your money." Yeah. So of course, you know they took him to court, and well, the other shady thing Lou Pearlman did as well was he paid himself. As a sixth member of the band. And he was clearly not the sixth <laughs> member. He was not Pete Best. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't take a manager's fee or an agent's fee that's like 10%. He split the money equally. Yeah, right. With the other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, though, they called their biggest album No Strings Attached. Right. The first album that they made, they said, you know, well, it's kind of like with Pinocchio. There are no strings on me. And then, yeah, that's the album that probably everybody knows, you know, with with Bye 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 and 
It's uh, gonna be me, I think, as well. Oh right. Oh, that I was think. an NSYNC song. I thought that was a Justin Timberlake solo song. I think it's gonna be me as an NSYNC song. I think. All right. I. You know what's funny though? The documentary talks about the Backstreet Boys being darker and edgier. <laughs> God, but that, that, I, I love that. It's, it's like in the tail end of their career. <laughs> do, do you know who was really edgy when Peter Parker grows his <laughs> hair out in Spider-Man Three? At the end of their careers, Backstreet Boys went full adult contemporary balladeers. Oh, really? And that's when... The way I explained it to you yesterday is, I was not a big fan of either of these bands, but I was also not not a fan. So, like, I didn't hate them. Like, if they came on the radio, you didn't change the channel. Exactly. So, I... Didn't I never bought an album of theirs, yeah. but I didn't hate them. In fact, I liked a few of their singles. Yeah. I recorded I Want It That Way off the radio. Of course. Oh, God. You're really dating yourself, you know that? <laughs> yeah, I recorded it off literally the one radio station I got reception yeah. out of. But but home. you weren't, but at the same time, you weren't as crazy as some girls were where they like splash their posters on the wall and, no. and all that. I never even bought an album of theirs. And I've never heard a non album. Like a yeah. non single track. I think from a either. couple I think a couple of the Backstreet Boys songs play better now actually than they did at the time. Like we talked about how I Want That Way is actually a decent song and um Backstreet's Back is kind of fun. I remember actually I have a memory of Backstreet's Back coming on when we went to that Buffy, the yeah. Vampire Slayer, like, 10-year high school reunion thing in Brooklyn. And I want to know Backstreet's Back from where? That was like <laughs> their first big hit, wasn't it? No, I think that they, I think that they were, had an album before that that was big. And they were coming back after being away for, like, a year. But again, <laughs> but again for, for teen girls, it's forever. Yeah, so I... Um, but, but to get back, we should get back to Lou Pearlman, though, because this yeah. story is crazy yeah, it with is. him. Because the, you would th- if it was just the fraud with the bands, I mean, again, it, I, I remember some of this from, like, watching part, like, behind the, behind the music, back when that was a big thing on VH1. That's probably where I first heard of Lou Pearlman was, uh, like, on the NSYNC episode of that show. Mm-hmm. But no, the Lou Pearlman story is just... A series of crimes and schemes and <laughs> and of course and also, you know, tying back into leaving Neverland and Trevor R. Kelly, he was also a sexual molester and abuser and frankly a creep. Yeah, now let's the documentary when addressing the molestation allegations, the problem is there's not people willing to go on the record and say yeah. unambiguously Lou Pearlman abused me. Right. Yeah, there's no there's no New York Times article where five women come together against for example like Louis CK where that happened and suddenly he had to come out and say this is true this so, is not true. It's like the documentary there are people who go on the record and say like yeah, he gave me a back rub and there's also a disturbing thing where he apparently would continuously lie to people, saying like, "I have I minored in physical therapy in college." No, no, I minored in psychology <laughs> when I was in college um, to to try to talk to people. And I think 
there's a second hand account uh in the documentary of how one guy who's not interviewed in it like said that he like Lou Pearlman asked him to jerk him off. Yeah. Well, to, was that what it was? Here's what because, happened. Like you're going to go to Europe and you're going to, what was it? Like meet, like you're going to have sexual encounters. Here's, here's the way it happened. A guy from the band LFO who had that vomitously terrible song, Summer Girl, which is one of the worst songs ever created in the history of music. Oh, we have to talk about some of those lyrics, but we'll get to that later. But anyway, this guy guy from LFO, I don't remember which one, because I don't know their names or anything. This guy from LFO said, Lou Pearlman said to him, before they embarked on a European tour, when you go to Europe, the sexual culture is going to be different. Which means when you interact with people in a professional mm. capacity in Europe, they're going to want to jerk you off, and they're going to want you to jerk them off. So why don't you practice on me so you're prepared for all the jerking off and receiving of jerking off? And that's just that's just so ridiculous, too. It's like, <laughs> you are a guy. You have jerked off your own dick. <laughs> Many, it's not many like times. you need to practice on someone else. You, like <laughs> that's also just frankly that's the kind of thing that you that I feel like someone would say that to someone who is underage and isn't an exper- isn't experienced. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that and also there're just other there, there are there are legit stories though that even if it doesn't involve molestation like there was a girl group who we had she, never heard of before. Yeah, so apparently she him. tried to Lou Pearlman after after Insync and Backstreet Boys left him. He tried to do other groups, like we said, like LFO and other no name fucking clones. Like, he had a band I, called Take Five. I I, I, I joke to you. It was like Chia Pet. Like <laughs> you could just add water, and it's like boy band, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah. <laughs> No, it was that simple. I mean, it, it's uh, it's surprising that it took until, like, One Direction for another one of these things to take off again. But, um, but anyway, there was a girl group. I think they were called, like, Innocence? Innocence, but spelled weird. Yeah, and there was a woman uh, in that group who recounts that... Uh, Luke, like they had, he had a tanning bed in his uh, in his place. Yeah, and so the girls would go and get themselves tanned because I guess that was just what you had to do as a performer. He had cameras stationed all over his place, including in the tanning room. So he was taping them undressing, yeah, and being naked, and so he would tell his other boy band people, "Oh, hey, look, you got to check out this video. I videotaped the girls undressing." And that's pretty skeevy. That's yeah. pretty... Isn't that kind of illegal? It's kind of invasion of privacy, I would think. <laughs> like, especially, you know, if you don't tell them, like, oh, yeah, we have a ca- I have a camera that's videotaping you. It, 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 it... <sighs> now, there's a Vanity Fair article from 2007 yeah. that discusses the allegations of molestation in more detail. But again... But there weren't as many people on the record. Again, it's a lot of anonymous sources about him wrestling naked, 
with the member mm-hmm. with various members of the boy bands, and and this is something that's very um relevant to another part of the documentary. The closest that we get to a confirmation that one of like the superstar boy band people was molested was Nick Carter's mother insinuates pretty strongly that Nick Carter was molested in some way by Lou Pearlman. And is it Nick Carter or Aaron Carter that's interviewed in the documentary? It's Faces of Meth, Aaron Carter. (laughs) Uh, It's like, he kind of looks like a melted version of Lucas Haas. (laughs) Have you ever seen that actor? And he's, he's interviewed in this, and he just, he seems so... Like sad, and Lance Bass in an interview talked about how he wasn't sure if he was going to get him in the documentary, but then when they did, they thought, "Oh, is he going to have some new juicy stories to tell us?" And it turned out, no, he was super, super defensive about Lou Pearlman and any accusations against him to the point where he at one point like took off his mic and left because he was so sad about his death yeah. and. Aaron Carter is obviously a very, very troubled person. And also, you told me that he also uh, slammed uh, Wade Robson, who yeah. was one of the uh, Michael Jackson accusers. And I have, I have some measure of empathy for him, but when he went after Wade Robson, that really, really, that was such a scumbag thing to do. Yeah, he he's the one guy in the documentary, actually, who's really... Very defensive of Lou Pearlman. By the way, Lou Pearlman's been dead now for a few years. So, I mean, you never know if maybe it might take some time, like with Robson Safe Chuck, to get up the, you know, to be maybe they need, maybe you need years of therapy to confront what this kind of guy did. But ultimately, again, the documentary isn't fully about that. It's about how, frankly, Lou Pearlman had this pathology of being a slimy skis ball who thought he could get away with anything. Yeah, so we learned about how he built this gigantic Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And apparently... Some of it I still, I don't know if I fully get, except that it, it was actually after he was done with his boy bands. Well, when I read the Vanity Fair article, one thing, the YouTube documentary, even though it's quite good... I feel like it didn't really give you a good sense of how long the Ponzi scheme was going on. The Vanity Fair article made it clear the Ponzi scheme went on for 15 years. Oh, really? So what did was it going on when he was managing Backstreet Boys? Before, during, and after. Oh! Oh, oh no, no, you know what? They did mention it in the documentary briefly, because didn't one of the members of NSYNC say, like... Or not? In, maybe it was in sync. Like there was some investor guy who said, "Oh, hey, I own you." <laughs> and like the, the one of them then had to go up to Lou Pearlman and say, uh, "This guy just said that he owns us. Like, does he own the Backstreet Boys?" No, 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 no. He owns this other company. He thinks he owns you, but he doesn't. Well, and he used the credibility he got from hitting it so big with the Backstreet Boys and in sync. To keep the Ponzi scheme going longer. Yeah. And it it became like an international affair because, of course, he was hiding money in, you know, random places. And, and eventually he had to go on the lamb. He and went was- on the lamb and he was like <laughs> hiding out in another country 
and suddenly, randomly, some guy saw him. It's like, hey, is that Lou Pearlman? Just eating at a, <laughs> just eating at a hotel, like at the <laughs> breakfast bar, and I took a photo of him. Um, yeah, but it's just you, you get the sense that he just couldn't stop himself. But it also, again, it's from an early age because he, yeah. his first business with the blimps. That itself was a scam because he bought what was a really defective old blimp and put like a $3 million insurance claim on it. And as it happens, the blimp crashed and he got the money from it. And that's actually how he really got himself started to go down to Orlando and get his insurance uh, fraud. Insurance fraud, man. I mean, if he should have been stopped there, but. Somehow he got away with it. And uh, and they also go into depth in, in a little bit about his childhood and early years and how he was, frankly, one of these, you know, you almost, for a split second, you feel a little sad for him just in the sense that he, you know, is described as one of these loner kids. He had, like, one friend. and yeah. But also, he was also one of these kids that said, someday I'm going to be rich and it won't matter because I'll be great. <laughs> yeah. And that's always... It's if as our president can probably tell you, uh, well, actually you can't tell us because he'd probably be marble mouthed. <laughs> um, <laughs> oranges, uh, but anyway, so I think it's a good documentary. I mean, it's not; it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It's very talk headsy. Um, yeah. You know, it's also the kind of thing. It's a pet peeve of mine that in the documentary keeps showing you the names of who's on screen, even after you know who it is. Um, I mean, Frank, maybe for a couple of of the people, I forgot who they were, because, um... Well, I wasn't familiar with the names or faces of the second-tier boy bands that they bring in. Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's a good point. Like, I I didn't know the people. Well, now, well, well, the one of the guys that was interviewed, I think his name was Ashley Parker Angel from O Town. Oh, from O Town. Okay, that was the one that they made the reality show about. Oh, yeah, yeah. They also talk about that too. That he had a, a reality show, which I was vaguely aware that this existed, but I never watched it. It was called Making the Band. Yeah, I was the same way. I didn't watch it, but I knew who O Town was. Yeah. Um, it was an example of, you know, an early reality show. Um, it, 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 it's, but, but, but I think, you know, putting aside how it's kind of a typically made documentary, it's just the information in the story though is really compelling that this guy just, he, he, he really couldn't help himself. Like even after he was arrested, and put in jail, he was still trying to figure out, okay, if I get out, maybe I can start over with another boy he band. He was gonna try to build a boy band from prison. <laughs> he could have called them the Pinstripe Gang. <laughs> Which, I mean, again, by the time he went to prison, boy bands were totally over as a thing. Yeah, I mean, it. it they, he was still trying to do that, and... But he also had other businesses and schemes. He owned Chippendales. Chi- he owned the Chippendales. Strippers. Yeah, the male stripper thing. He owned like a pizza place. He owned a few other things. Um, I love to. He had a fake airplane company, so he pretended. 
yeah, yeah, talk about this. Yeah, doesn't his friend talk about this in it? He pretended that he owned a fleet of airplanes that was a small airplane company. Like, a teeny tiny version of, like, Delta or United right. or whatever. But really, he didn't own any planes. He just rented them and pretended. But didn't, no, no, didn't his friend say that he took, like, a toy airplane and somehow made it look like it was a real plane? Well, yeah, when he showed <laughs> off the photos of the plane he quote-unquote owned, they were literally model planes, like toy planes, and he said he owned them. And if he ever needed to take someone on a flight, he just rented a plane yeah. for a few hours. So I loved his fake airplane company. Yeah. I mean, Lou Pearlman is... Just like a prime rancid cut of late era capitalism. <laughs> you know, it, he's just an example of that. And I think near the end of the documentary, I fe- it's weird because at the end, did it feel like the, when they were wrapping up, they were trying to say like, oh, his is, he had a tragic story. You know, he, he could have been something, you know, but he chose not to and. I don't know. I just think if you're a scumbag from an early age, you're not going to change. Especially if you're going, if no one's going to stop you. And it it just, he he really was there taking advantage of people who really should have had lawyers and didn't know better. Yeah, and it's really... Like, if the members of, of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys had lawyers from the beginning... Lou Pearlman probably would have just, like, not been successful. Yeah, but, and this, I mean, this is such a cliche in the entertainment industry for a reason. You have young, desperate people. Yeah. And it's easy to take advantage of them. Because Mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry, the supply of people who want to be stars is always going to be much, much greater than the demand for stars. Yeah. Which means... Yeah, it's also, the problem is, too, it's, frankly, it's a bit disposable as well. Like, not not for NSYNC or Backstreet Boys so much, but I would think for some of those late boy bands that he got together, <sighs> some of them should have known what was up by then yeah. about him, both as a, you know, as as a gay guy who used his gayness as a, as an excuse to, you know tell boys oh no take your shirt off so i can ogle you well yeah so another thing in the documentary was because the boy banders have to appeal to teen girls it was he said it's very important for you to stay fit and stay fit so he was constantly making them take their shirts off so he could inspect them for fitness like they were you know basically thoroughbreds (laughs) um i don't know so yeah so anyway so that was the documentary and again if you have the youtube uh you know, a subscription service, then we recommend it to you. Um, but this now leads us, I think, into what the other movie that we decide to watch spur of the moment, thanks to that Vanity Fair article. Yeah, so after we watched the documentary, I, I had heard of this long, detailed Vanity Fair article, and it's called something like Mad About the Boys, Okay. But if you just Google Lou Pearlman Vanity Fair, it comes up right away. Yeah, I, I hadn't read this before. So, so, after the documentary, I sit down to read this article. And as I'm reading it, the article references something that's not in the documentary at all. It's not even referenced. Yeah. A movie 
that Lou Pearlman made. He, he, he co-wrote, well, we should put in quotations very loosely, co-wrote and produced. This movie called Long Shot. Yeah, not to be confused with the upcoming Seth Rogen, Charlie's Theron movie, which is called The Long Shot. It's just one word, Long Shot. When the odds are against you. Every great player misses shots. You got the talent. All you need is the confidence. When the opportunities pass you. You know, first you blow the shot and the game. Now look at what young Alex has done. And when you don't know what to do, there's only a few people who can show you. Eye to eye. Face to face. I can take care of myself. All the right moves. Look, if you'll just be yourself, everything's going to be fine. know their tunes. You know their faces. Oh, there are people standing over there at work. Now see them in action. Come on, Corey. We can do this. We can do long shot. <laughs> All right. So long shot. This might be the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, I sometimes that sounds like hyperbole. That sounds like, oh, come on. You guys are kidding. No. no. We went through it. This movie is. Worse than after last season. Worse than Fateful Findings. Like, Neil Breen is a better film. All right, so, I don't know where to start with this. So, yeah. again, as we said, long shot, it's basically like you are watching a literal crime in action. <laughs> because, again, this is one of the transcontinental productions output. And you know that it's transcontinental because Lou Pearlman lets you know throughout <laughs> the movie. And I, so I was trying to take notes during this thing. And you know what I'm going to do? Normally I don't do this, but I'm going to read the plot synopsis yes. that is on Letterboxd. Thank God Letterboxd actually spoils the entire movie in its plot synopsis because as you're actually watching the movie, it's so incoherent. It is completely incomprehensible, <laughs> and I wrote in my notes that the opening was incomprehensible. <laughs> the movie opens with these like little shits, like who get like these guys all in like back to O Town. Uh, oh, town! Don't <laughs> <laughs> you mean how Christopher Walken would say it? Um, they're all on a couch and they're watching an ad for the VHS of Longshot. Is that right? Yeah, but they're in it too, I think. It's yeah, they're so watching it. They're watching. <laughs> are they watching all themselves? Shits in your notes. Of course I did. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I have my notes open here. And so they're watching themselves on TV. And then, like, I guess they're watching themselves in the movie. And then we cut to a basketball game. Um, and then the movie just starts. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know who, what's happening scene to scene. Who are these people? Yeah. What are they doing? It's like that line from The Room. Who are these characters? <laughs> Every scene feels totally okay, random. Okay, well, let me read that. Let me read that plot synopsis before I get... All right. 
Teen Alex Taylor and his older brother Jack live in L.A., where Jack is a personal fitness trainer. Jack had an affair with Mitzi Price, a very powerful businessman's wife. Her husband, Laszlo Price, then blackmails Jack into going to New York City to get information from Rachel Montgomery about who she is selling her company to. Jack brings Alex with him to make sure that he will be safe. Jack and Rachel fall in love, while Alex <laughs> falls in love with Rachel, Rachel's dark Kelly, I can't even talk. <laughs> Eventually, Jack tells Rachel why he was sent to New York, and the two work together to bring Ladslow Price down. Rachel needs to have $2 million in order to not sell her company. Alex wins the money in a halftime contest at a basketball game. They provide information about Ladslow Price to the police, and he is arrested. That's the movie, <laughs> folks. But... When you watch this movie, none of that is, so little of that is clear. Yeah, the way it cuts between the Alex plot, who I will refer to as Ponytail. Yes, uh, and the Alex character is Joey Skullthorpe, that's who a name. was, basically, he was, it was an aborted attempt to create a music star. With Ponytail? Yeah, like he... The thing that's interesting about this movie, if you were to watch the trailer, and the trailer itself is a mess, you can... Both the movie and the trailer on are on YouTube. Somebody uploaded the movie in about ten different parts. Like, that was back when YouTube only had ten-minute increments. Um, yeah, by the way, this movie is 93 minutes long. That's uh-huh. way too long. Um, but when you watch the trailer, it seems like... Okay, you're gonna get a lot of boy bands in this, and I'll tell you something. If even for the audience that this should be pitched to, which again are preteen, you know, adolescent teenage girls who want to, I guess, watch O Town or No Town <laughs> or whatever town it is, or that LF LM. I about to call them LMFAO, but I know it's not the same thing. It's LFO. Is that even right? Yeah. Um. If you are tuning into this to check them out, guess what? You're not going to get that. You're getting this completely half-baked, barely-baked plot where Paul Sorvino uh, is the guy is plays Laszlo Price, and his whole plan doesn't seem to make sense at the beginning. Well, the other thing is, we we were able to figure out that Paul Sorvino was blackmailing the guy who played Jack, the older brother. Yeah, in my notes, I saw that, like, eventually but you finally get some type of we clarification. We thought Paul Servino was blackmailing him to kill that woman, Rachel. Yeah, that's Not what she... Yeah, find out who she was selling her company to. So... Yeah, the, the <laughs> editing within scenes and also connecting scenes together... It it seems like somebody who edited whoever edited this very loosely. I mean, well, as I joked, it, it should have been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> This is Bohemian Rhapsody level. No, editing, you know what though? Meaning that, that it's a fucking abomination. But you know what? At least Bohemian Rhapsody, I could follow it scene to scene. <laughs> it's just that the, the editing within the scenes was was a mess. In this case, it's both things. Yeah. It's, you have these two storylines. Again, there's one involving this guy, Jack, who I call discount 
Cinemax porn guy. <laughs> and he is, like, having... Again, he's going after this woman, Rachel, played by this actor, Hunter Tylo, who I guess is a thing, because she was actually a name that kept popping up in the uh, the credits. Oh, she's a... She's a soap opera actress. She the was on. The person who uploaded this onto YouTube uploaded it because of their fandom for Hunter Tyler. Yeah, I guess she was on The Bold and the Beautiful for like 30 years. Um, oh, and she's also in a horror movie called The Initiation. Um, oh, and also the movie Sharkman. Because <laughs> of course she was in a movie called Sharkman. Um, so. You have those two storylines, again, with Ponytail, played by Alex, and Jack, the other guy. But how? But they don't cut together at all. You usually have a way of yeah. cutting between one storyline, going to the other storyline, maybe try to create some type of dynamic where they complement each other, but it... Yeah, even though these guys are brothers... It doesn't feel like they're in the same movie at all. And and the director of this movie, I looked him up. It's this guy is it's credited to a guy named Lionel C. Martin, who only has he only has one other feature to his name. Def uh Def Jam presents How to Be a Player. <laughs> now I don't know how that movie is. I assume it's not very good. That's when they tried to get Bill Bellamy a career. Um <laughs> but he also he, he directed a lot of music videos including some with R. Kelly. We can tell that he's a music video director. No, yeah, he, he basically, um, a lot of this is just jammed with music, playing over scenes. The music has nothing to do with the scenes going on. It doesn't comment on the action. It doesn't even feel like it fits the action emotionally. It's just slapped on there because, hey, if you if we don't have music, you will contemplate the dark deadness in your soul <laughs> while watching fucking long shot. Oh, and the other craziest thing though, I told you about this when I looked up the credits. It's just insane, like how what kind of reach and pull um Lou Perlman has. Like because what's funny is in the documentary, there's a bit that talks about how when he was already when he was just a kid. He was already kind of doing little schemes and somehow making a name for himself, doing weird things, such as pulling Art Garfunkel into a bar mitzvah. Art Garfunkel's his cousin. Oh, guy. oh, oh, I forgot about that. I must have been looking at my Lou phone. Per <laughs> Lou Pearlman and Art Garfunkel were cousins. Oh. Wait, is Art Garfunkel dead? No. Okay. No, he's he's very much alive. Okay. He's uh, I he kind of whenever I see him in a movie, he makes me think of he's like Jesse Eisenberg's dad. <laughs> Is um, he in movies in these modern times? No, not really, but he was in movies in the seventies. Okay. Anyway. So he pulls Art Garfunkel into this movie, who he also pulls in as the composer is Lalo Schifrin. Who again, <laughs> not that's not a household name necessarily, but he for those of you who don't know who Lalo Schifrin is, he is a legendary, legendary composer. He com He's the guy who, when you hear the theme for Mission Impossible, that's him. He composed the Mission Impossible theme. You know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you told me he had all these incredibly prestigious D credentials. Dirty, he, so many Clint Eastwood movies, Dirty Harry all the Dirty Harry movies, THX 1138, uh, and I'm just looking at some of his other credits now, uh, Bullet, 
the Steve McQueen movie. He, he composed the uh, Rush Hour movies. He's been very prolific. How, how he got roped into fucking Longshot, <laughs> man. Like, that. J- I feel like everybody who worked on this movie... They got paid in, like, dirty money. Like, I feel like Pablo Escobar was probably a more sound investor. Um, Yeah, so he did the music. The music is pretty bad in this, too. But, again, it's just... I was trying to follow what was going on. And neither of us could make it. Like, I thought maybe at first... we, We were watching this late at night, so maybe we couldn't follow along because of that. No. It just makes no sense at all. I'm getting angry again just thinking about it. And, of course, the topper of it is, let's talk about the cameos. Oh, God. Oh. it. This is a movie where there are parts where it tries to become meta. It's so cringy. Like, there's that scene where Lance <laughs> back... <laughs> Lance Bash is randomly a pilot. It's like a it's like a cameo parade. It's it makes the Muppet movies look subtle. Like you know, and at least in the Muppets, that's fun because it's Muppets. In this case, there's a plane scene where Britney Spears pops up as a, a flight, flight attendant. attendant. Kenny Rogers plays a pilot, and Lance Bass is the Another other guy in the pilot. cockpit. And there's a point where he is at the control desk and says, we got to get this in sync. And he turns to look at the camera. directly at the camera. And I'm sorry, you know, (laughs) that can work maybe in a movie that's genuinely clever. In this kind of movie, it's just smug. It's just smug. It is a guy, it is a film, it's a film that thinks... Oh, don't you think this is so clever and cheesy? Aren't we having fun? Our guy from InSync says, Hey, we gotta get this in sync. Looks at the camera. <laughs> no, you didn't earn that. Go home. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of my TV. And then I guess one of the guys Oh, we we also didn't well we'll get talk we'll talk about the narration too in a little bit, but like some of the cameos in this though. All the all the in sync guys are here. Which, by the way, didn't that also confuse when this was made? Yeah, because Letterbox says this movie was released in two thousand one. Yeah, the Vanity Fair article said this movie was released in two thousand two. Well, it came out in two thousand two in the U.S. It first got released in Germany. Okay, but the thing is, we wonder when they shot it because by two thousand one, two thousand two. InSync had already broken up with Lou Pearlman. Yeah, I mean, unless if like the the doc again the documentary this this movie does not come up at all in the documentary. I have to wonder if they just. I mean, clearly Lance Bass does not want people to be reminded of this. It's like he's very open the doc and talks about how Lou Pearlman you know stabbed me in the back and lied to me and all this. Clearly, he was okay with popping up in a movie for a day. Um, like, a lot of the people who pop up in this, they're just here for a day. Gilbert Gottfried is in this. That, <laughs> I I was like, 
I was like the guy in those Maxell commercials <laughs> in his chair who's being blown by the wind when I saw him. I was like, what am I looking at? Well, what are you, you doing? You like Gilbert Gottfried. I am a big Gilbert Gottfried fan. See, I don't like him, so this wasn't a big... Come like, on, Corey! <laughs> don't you like seeing me in these movies? For the love of God! Uh, no, I, do I, you I, want to tell the people how this was not listed on his credits? Oh, no, he's not. Yeah, he's not listed on IMDb. He's not listed on Letterboxd. So you added this to Gilbert Gottfried's filmography on Letterboxd well, and IMDb. Well, we'll see if it gets added. Uh, <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you too. But like it, it so it, he's he's got a cameo. He plays like the record store boss for some yeah, reason. Yeah, there are all these scenes set in a record store where Ponytail works. But they don't have anything to do with it. Oh, and who's the actress who plays Topanga? Danielle Fischel. Yeah, Danielle Fischel is in this for a few scenes. But it's weird. I thought that she was going to be the lead. In the first, like, ten minutes of the movie, or ten or fifteen minutes, Danielle Fischel is in pretty much every scene that Ponytail is in. And we're led to believe that she's going to be... That's why I wrote my notes. Topanga is female lead, question mark. And, and then, then she's just gone because... She's completely gone from most of the well, movie. Well, what happens is it seems like she's going to be part of Alex, his storyline. But then, again, Alex then, he hooks up with, again, uh, Rachel's daughter, as the synopsis says. Um, and then Rachel's it, daughter, who's played by an actress who's obviously the same age as Rachel. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, it's one of those deals. Um, but again, as I said earlier, if you are, if you buy the, if, if you're, this movie fails the audience it's aimed at as well, which is why it's a complete waste of, of, you know, disc space. It's, it's a complete waste of anything because it's not until even an hour into it that you get a full musical performance. Yeah. When finally that, the actor plays Alex sings a song at some like a talent show at like a at like a pool or it something. It looked almost like do you remember when MTV used to show those spring break specials? Yeah, exactly. That's what it looked like. It looked like kind of MTV It looked like a break. it looked like a discount version of Spring Break and he's singing and immediately winning this crowd because I guess like cuz he has that boy band charm or the something. Thing is too. It's very obviously not him singing oh, live. Oh, of course not. Yeah. But, yeah, Danielle Fischel, she's, in the beginning of the movie, we're led to believe she's going to be, like, a co-protagonist. Then she literally vanishes from the movie entirely, except... Near the very end. But she doesn't even speak. They just randomly cut to a reaction shot of her. <laughs> they did her like they did uh, that guy Jose in the Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Um, oh, I remember, like, I just have random notes I need to talk about. Um, they're at, like, a cafeteria, and this cafeteria lady puts on, like, an entire huge plate of green beans. But they're not green beans? You know, are you, I have in quotes in my notes, those aren't green beans. <laughs> yeah. And I said, and I think you said, I don't think Perlman has ever seen green beans. Yeah, so there's all this goofy dialogue with this giant plate of green beans, and they're not green beans. They look like, um, like spinach leaves or something. Now, the other thing I should say about the editing, I meant to say this earlier, um, 
I think at certain times, more so early in the movie, I wondered if if Lou Pearlman, for a second I called him Ron Pearlman, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought maybe Lou Pearlman saw Moulin Rouge and thought, let's do this. <laughs> let's do this kind of movie. But he had no aptitude for it at all. <laughs> and none of the people he hired had any aptitude for it. Um... It, it, again, it's everything in this movie is oppressive. It's nothing is happening, and yet lots of things are happening. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like, there's no story momentum. It's like, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's another scene, here's a montage <laughs> scored to that LFO song, where, I'm not kidding, we have lyrics, so-called lyrics, <laughs> uh, like... Uh, I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I take her if I have one wish. She's been gone since that summer, since that summer. Hip-hop, marmalade, spick and span. Met you one summer and it all began. You're the best girl that I ever did see. The great Larry Bird, Jersey 33. When you take a sip, you buzz like a hornet. Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole bunch of sonnets. Call me Willie Whistle cause I can't speak, baby. Something in your eyes went and drove me crazy. Now I can't forget you and it makes me mad. Left one day and never came back. Stayed all summer then went back home. Macaulay Culkin wasn't home alone. That's a lyric in this song! What am I listening to? <laughs> And Wasn't this, there another lyric there in that? There was a random line about Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is lyrics used for what's supposed to be like a I'm falling in love with you montage as we go and just walk around New York City. And, and, and it's just, oh my God, this movie. Um, and that song, in addition to being awful, really released some cultural tyranny because it made a lot of people really obsessed with Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. You fought that battle, you were telling me. Well, I did it once or twice going to an Abercrombie and Fitch and I thought, I need to buy clothes from here so I could look cool. And that you was see, a dark time this, in my life. This is, as I told you last night, this was one benefit of living in the sticks is I had literally never heard of Abercrombie and Fitch. Before the song. And the closest one to me was about 45 minutes away. Yeah. So, obviously, I wasn't going to go there. Um, you just had to deal with your overalls and, like, <laughs> thistles and whatever <laughs> you bumpkins for. Oh, God, this movie I, sucks. I was actually really proud of my pair of velvet overalls. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. Well, I was I had a pair of velvet overalls, <laughs> and I thought they were the bomb in terms of style. I wore them all the time. Uh, oh, and another thing that's confusing. <laughs> Let me go back. I mentioned the narration. What was with the narration in this movie? That would also pop up from time to time. Like, weird. near the beginning of the movie, so-called, like, there's a point where I think it's Alex runs into somebody on, like, on a campus, and then you hear... And then, uh, I, I have a funny story that happened to me. Let me tell you about it. And he pops up with narration every now and then, and it makes no sense. And it's, uh, I, at some point I stopped making notes. Obviously no one can act in this movie at all. Nobody can act in this movie, but it's just... Again, listening to this, it's like... And nobody has any, any charisma Nobody has any charisma. It's not intentionally funny at all. 
and it's trying to mostly be a comedy. It thinks also it's meta. That's the other thing, too. Um, isn't there a part where somebody says, and I put this in quotes, it's a cheesy teen movie with, with a, a bunch, bunch of, of cameos. cameos. You're not... Fuck you! <laughs> You're not cute and funny movie. No. The only thing about this movie... There, there were a couple of... Uh, there were some unintentionally funny parts, I will admit. Yeah. There was one part where, like, there was a slow-mo... Of, like, a basketball being thrown into the air. <laughs> that was funny. That was pretty funny. But nothing's intentionally funny. The only thing worth praising about this movie is the actor who played Ponytail had absolutely gorgeous hair. Like, it was super shiny and healthy and well-conditioned. That's, like, <laughs> that's this movie's equivalent of an Ed Wood. Oh, hey, look. They said the costumes are very realistic. <laughs> He's... I don't think I've ever seen anyone with shinier or glossier hair, like, even in shampoo commercials. So, I mean, I also called him, like, hatchet face <laughs> when we were watching the movie. <laughs> Why? But... <laughs> hatchet face. His hair was... I just looking at some of the notes I wrote in here. Helicopter, stabbed, talking, head <laughs> style, suits, Pearlman copter. Oh yeah, because <laughs> Well, because in the documentary it talked about how, like some woman needed like she had to get to an appointment and Lou Pearlman said to her, Oh don't worry, I'll send a helicopter and send you over. Lou Pearlman cameos in this movie as well. Oh naturally. yeah, well of course he does. He also shows up near the end. And shows off Chippendales. Yeah. This movie, like, we talked about this too last night. This has worse product placement than Jack and Jill. <laughs> this is, like, crass, crass commercialism. This is a... That's why I said I feel like I'm watching a crime. Like, <laughs> like you watch certain bad movies, and even, like, something like Neil Breen. Neil Breen is insane. Neil Breen, Tommy Wiseau, these are guys with very singular visions of the world. But there's a real sincerity there. There's a real sincerity there. This is not sincere. <laughs> this is someone being like, oh, hey, isn't it fun we're making a movie? And they know too well about what they're doing. <laughs> and that makes it even worse. That's what makes this... It, 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 again, it's a, it's a multifaceted level of shit. It's a yeah. pyramid shit scheme. <laughs> it's like you, you mount one level of shit and then go up to another level of shit. You, you said at one point when we were watching it, how much tax fraud is up on the screen right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, Donald Trump looks at this movie and goes, wow. That's a lot of fraud. Oh, of I course. I wish I could do that. Of course, the characters are staying in Trump Tower, but there are no interior shots of Trump I, I, It's I, only exterior shots. I, I have a feeling that what happened there was Lou Pearlman did want to shoot there, <laughs> and Trump has a policy for every for any time someone wants to shoot something in Trump Tower you ha or, or a Trump property, he has to cameo in it. You don't have to use his cameo, but he has to shoot some... He has to be shot for the film. That's why he pops up in Home Alone 2, because the Plaza Hotel is in that. So I have a feeling that he wanted to... They he 
he demanded to have the cameo, and maybe he demanded a lot of money. And Lou Pearlman, being the cheapskate that he is, he didn't want to do that. So, but so he just asked, "Could I film outside?" And he was like, "Sure." Yeah. Oh my god. It really is though. Like as we were going through it last night. I oh, and was... Dustin Diamond has a cameo. <laughs> of course. I was trying to mentally cycle through our list of really terrible movies that we've watched, and this was really worse than all of them. It, it it's it's. Yeah, it's it's almost like it has both. When you watch like a Michael Bay movie, that also is just crass commercialism and cynicism. At least with Michael Bay movies, I could even try to point to maybe a performance in it and say, "Yeah, that's at least entertaining." Like Pain and Gain has Dwayne Johnson or uh, Dwayne or... Johnson's in this movie. Oh yeah! Oh, I forgot to bring up Dwayne Johnson. Thank you. Dwayne Johnson pops up in this as mugger. And we're led to believe, like, he mugs Jack and Rachel at one point. They're, like, I believe they're in Central Park, like, under that, like, overpass? And it's Ponytail and the Daughter. Oh, Ponytail and the Daughter. And we're led to believe that Ponytail kicks the rock's ass. Yeah. Oh, blow me, movie. Meanwhile, we've already established that Ponytail is physically intimidated by a jock in his grade, who's exactly the same size. Yes, yeah, Ponytail. yeah. they even have a flashback to that, don't they? Yeah, so Ponytail can't handle a boy in his class who's his same age and his same size, but he easily dispatches The Rock. Yes. Um, yeah, so The Rock pops up here, too. Um, it, it's... But again, it's everything is bad about it. Yeah. How it's shot is bland and has no sense of space cinematically. Music is terrible. Acting is terrible. The attempts at humor are terrible. <laughs> um, I like I, I like that one letterboxed review that said, uh, "Well, at least it was great seeing Britney Spears in a charming performance. She didn't do anything. No, she's not any good." God, show me Crossroads again before this. Well, I also said to you while watching it, From Justin to Kelly is Citizen Kane compared to this movie. Yeah, see, I hadn't seen From Justin to Kelly. I assumed, like, people often refer to Justin to Kelly and will say, that's one of the worst movies ever made. That's such a terrible, terrible movie. But... I... I remember almost nothing from from Justin to Kelly because I saw it so long ago. And don't get me wrong, it was a very bad movie and it was very boring and very bland. But it was a movie. Yeah. Like it had a plot. Uh-huh. It had dialogue. <laughs> it I had... feel like the incredibly straight, the incredibly mixed up <laughs> zombies. I'm I'm getting that title wrong. Like uh, Monster or Go Go has a better plot than this, <laughs> a more coherent plot. And that was the movie that Mystery Science Theater, <laughs> when the end credits came up, they booed it. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater booed Monster or Go Go. And I'll tell you, Long Shot's worse than Monster or Go Go. It's, it's, again, it's everything is wrong about it. Everything. And it even fails. Even, I could even try to say, like I said, like, you know, I, I remember actually, not from Justin to Kelly, but, I remember seeing in theaters the real Cancun. Do you remember when? <laughs> yeah, oh, do you remember yeah. that? That so was it was that the, was when reality movies were going to take the world by storm. Well, it was it was basically the real world decided to make a movie. I never saw it. 
I I walked out of it, and I thought, <laughs> like, at the time I was... I don't know even why I saw it. That was back when I saw... Everything. Almost everything that was in theaters. That was one of the breaking points, I think, for me. Because, <laughs> again, I went through a period in high school where I thought, okay, I'm going to just see everything that's in theaters. That's how I'm going to try to learn how to be... to, to learn. That's how I'm going to learn movies. I'm just going to see everything so I can really immerse myself in all the types, all the cliches, you know, everything that's good, everything that's mediocre, everything. And by the time Real Cancun came out, that might have already been when I had started college, and I I just said, no, I can't do this. (laughs) But I look back now, and I want to apologize to the Real Cancun, (laughs) because at least the Real Cancun... It does give you what you think you're going to get. It gives you debauchery and partying and people on spring break. It's just, you know, it's very boring and just monotonous. Longshot doesn't even give you what you think you're going to get. You think you're going to get, like, you know... I pity the 12-year-old girl who who found this movie because she wanted to see these um, cha-cha-chia boy bands. (laughs) Yeah, like, because you don't get that. Like, at the very end of the movie, at the basketball game, you finally get one of the boy bands. I forget which one. I don't know which one. One of them does perform for the crowd at the basketball game. So Lou Pearlman was even that cheap in that regard. He couldn't even get a boy band to be the lead in a movie. What the fuck is wrong with you? I'm so glad you're dead. I'm sorry. I don't mean to disparage. Well, no. We should disparage Lou Pearlman. He's a horrible human being. Yeah, like, he he's just... And we're on the record with this now. Ten years from now, when we're watching Leaving Lou Pearlman's Neverland, <laughs> and Aaron Carter finally feels free to speak his truth, we will... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, he... It's... It, yeah, again, this might be this... I, I sometimes, I don't say this too often either. Again, it, it happened when I watched After Last Season. It happened when I watched Manos. It happened when I watched uh, Fateful Findings. But no, I think Longshot is the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And I think it's also fascinating to me how like nobody's heard of this movie. Yeah. It, it, this, is gone, this is really under the radar. This isn't one of those bad movies that becomes a cult item like... Uh, Miami Connection, or, uh, or, uh, you know, or, or, or Sharknado. Like, it's not like one of those movies. This one's a deep cut. You have to be a real connoisseur of the genre like we are. You have to be, like, <laughs> there's a scene in the movie 8mm where, like, <laughs> Nicolas Cage and Joaquin Phoenix, they're trying to find the, uh, this girl who's kind of been gone missing and is in the world of porn, and, like, there's this one scene I remember where they're kind of descending into, like, the deepest bottom basement <laughs> to find, like, you know, vid- very a obscure videos. Yeah, this is, like, a snuff film <laughs> in terms of the commercialism and don't give a fuckery and yeah. winking snideness. This movie's winking at you the whole time and... It you know it, it's so bad it made me hate Gilbert Gottfried and and I don't want to hate Gilbert I Gottfried think... he's a national treasure. 
<laughs> I think you nailed it when you said it's the marriage of complete anti-talent in terms of craft, but it's also completely soulless. So you don't even have the joy of watching a legitimately eccentric person vomit up all his, like, anxieties and neuroses yeah. on screen. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, Neil Breen. It's, yeah, it's, it's the worst of Jack and Jill meets the worst of The Room. Yeah. If that makes sense. And actually, we've talked about, speaking of The Room, the real sincerity in that movie is the reason why Tommy Wee Show has never been able to follow it up. Because he can never be the person he was before he made the room again. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I'd just be curious what Lou Pearlman was thinking making this. I guess because it's not even he has the cameos from all these people, but there's no real leading figure that you can yeah. look to aside from what, Paul Sorvino. God, he's in this. Um. So, don't watch this movie. Like, I, I you know, we, we, we've kind of been laughing about a number of things with it, but I, I can't even recommend it as a bad movie. It's, here's the thing. It's not even fun bad. The only thing that was fun bad about watching it was watching it with you. Like, it was the company of who I was watching it with. Yeah, I mean, if you had been watching it by yourself, do you think you would have made it No. Through? There is no way I could have sat through this movie by myself. No. It, it's, uh, it's a complete absolute mess from start to finish and is a prime example of you know that documentary basically this 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 is like Lou Pearlman scheming me <laughs> and that's why I want to like find his corpse and beat up his corpse <laughs> and I'd be at back could take it <laughs> all right so if uh, if any of you guys up there have watched the if any of you guys have seen the documentary about Lou Pearlman. If you have any thoughts about the boy band era with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, um, you know, or by ch weird chance you've seen this movie, uh, email us at wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and all those places. Uh, when we come back next time, I can safely guarantee we'll watch something better, better. than Longshot. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, I mean, if we even... Uh, uh, if if I watch a Coleman Francis movie, it'll be better than this. Who's Coleman Francis? He uh he he made a lot of notoriously bad movies in the uh, in the fifties and sixties. He's he he's kind of like how everybody knows Ed Wood, but Coleman Francis. It's it's kind of like how if everybody knows the Beatles, but only like a handful of people, not a handful, but a smaller number of people. Um. Uh, know of like uh, the Rascals or okay. something, for example. Um, like Coleman Francis. If I look up his name, uh, he oh beyond um, he he made uh, the Beast of Yucca Flats, Red Zone Cuba. Did I see the Beast of Yucca Flats? I don't know. I mean, these are mystery science theater movies. Um, I may, I but they but they're especially bad. Like they're not even they don't even have the joys of other bad movies. Um, well, anyway, so that's a long shot and, uh, and the, the boy band con. Uh, so until next time, I'm Jack. And I'm Corey. And, uh, you're all I ever needed. You're all I ever <laughs> wanted. The Wage of Cinema wants you.
back. Down, down, down. Down, 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 down. All right. Good day. I wonder how we could sleep at night. Lou has all the power. A man who had everything. He stole my life. Had the world in his palm of his hand. I, I just wanted to kiss him. I got to take a break for a second, guys. All right? Yeah. I, I just need to... The people who are fighting me, fighting me, will be damn, damn sorry.